I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of your pastors here at Anderson Hills Church. We're in a series titled, Peter, the Unlikely Disciple. Last week we looked at how Peter made a powerful confession about Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Today we're going to fast forward about a, a week from that event and go to the mountaintop together to witness with Peter the most supernatural, miraculous moment of Jesus' earthly uh, ministry. In fact, it was such an incredible moment that Peter, he didn't want it to end. Have you ever went somewhere and you just didn't want to leave? You just wanted to stay and hunker down? Kim and I have a special romantic place in Hocking Hills. It's a Scottish inn. And over the past 13 years, we have stayed there 19 times. There's little charming cottages tucked away in the woods on the side of the hills. On the deck of the cottage, of the cottages, there's a hot tub. Inside, there's a gas fireplace with quaint furniture. There's trails that you can walk through the place around there. And during their to- that time, you can elect to dine at the main lodge. And it's truly a special experience because... You get six or seven course meals by candlelight, bagpipe music on some occasions, poetry, and more. And every time we load the car to leave, I'm in agony. I don't want to leave. Please, sweetie, let's not leave. Let's stay another night. This morning, we're going to look at Peter's response to the transfiguration. Peter wanted to hunker down. He wanted to stay in that glory because the transfiguration was an experience that was so, so heavenly. Think about that word transfiguration. What does that word mean? The best word that we have for that word is metamorphosis. If we've taken biology, biology class, we've heard this word before. And to me, it's one of the, one of the most biological uh, events of metamorphosis can happen when an ugly, crawly creature like a caterpillar undergoes a complete transformation and emerges radically different like a beautiful, delicate butterfly. It's easy to find a time-lapse uh, uh, time video of this strange, incredible way in which this transformation takes place, this chrysalis. It opens up and displays a, a magnificent creature. To me, it, it, it defies explanation. It's, it's, a, it's one of those nature miracles of God. And the Bible has a more remarkable miracle story of metamorphosis. Jesus himself metamorphosed into his heavenly glory. Jesus typically looked like the normal guy, probably back in that day and age. But at the transfiguration, his appearance was temporarily changed, transformed from a mere mortal into a glorified heavenly state. It was a miracle. There's no other way to explain it. Jesus is showing us a physical example of what it means to be looking like the glory of God. And depending on how you count it, the glory of God is referenced over 300 times in the Bible. To be honest, explaining the glory of God causes us to strain because our limitations of our human language and our mind can't wrap our brains around the glory of God, especially when we see it. Jesus' transfiguration is a holy mystery. And it's cool because 
Encountering God sometimes, can it be real mysterious in awe and wonder? And maybe you felt God close to you in a way that you can't fully explain. That's what happened to Peter, James, and John. Let's look at the scripture together. Luke 9, 28 through 30. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. The two men, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Can you imagine how bright that must have been? Jesus is so radiant that you could barely look at him. It's a throwback to the Old Testament where God's presence is seen in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's a throwback to the birth of Jesus when the shepherds were engulfed into the glory of God when the angels came to proclaim that good news. You see, humans don't see the glory of God unless God is up to something very, very big. If the moment wasn't already astound, astound, astonishing enough, now we see two uh, celebrities that come along. Moses and Elijah show up and pay a cameo. I don't even know how the disciples uh, knew who they were. Did they have name tags on? <laughs> Did they have t-shirts with their faces on it? I'm not sure. But we know that these guys are iconic. Moses represents the Old Testament law. Elijah one of the greatest prophets. And they're showing affirmation of God's plan of salvation through the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's why it says they spoke to Jesus of Jesus' departure and what he would accomplish in Jerusalem. They're showing the alignment of the Old Testament with the things that will happen in the next few months. At Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection on the third day showing his victorious uh, conquering over sin and death and his ascension into heaven. Where his disciples then will be empowered with the Holy Spirit to take his message. To take God's glory outside to the ends of the earth. Luke 9, 32-33. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the man were, men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. <laughs> Love Luke there. It's a powerful moment. What did the disciples do? You remember what, from the beginning? What were they doing? Were they singing songs to the Lord? Were they praying? Were they taking notes so they could write all this stuff down so they could pass it on to the future generations to come? Well, as usual, we need to lower our expectation with these disciples. They were sleeping. Are you kidding me? One of the, the countless things that endear us to the disciples is these kinds of things. They're a lot like us, aren't they? I know they're a lot like me. They want to be faithful to the Lord, but sometimes they just, it's really, really hard. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And don't you like Luke's parenthetical note there? <laughs> Attention, reader, remember this. This is Peter. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Cut him some slack, okay? And as usual, Peter is the first one to speak up. 
And I love Peter. He's bold. He's outspoken. He's full of passion. And if you encounter the beautiful spiritual moments where everything else is just, you're taking it in and you feel the need to fill the silence with your own voice, you've been there and you know what it's like to be Peter. Sometimes he says something beautiful like a week before when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But at other times he swings at a pitch, completely whiffs and strikes out. Peter's like, hey, shiny Jesus, James and John and I were planning on starting a life group and we would love to have you join us. And your two friends, Moses and Elijah, would be a great addition to this life group too. The problem is we don't want to go back down to that mountain. There's nine other guys there that are going to be want to be a part of that life group. And that's going to kill the vibe. (laughs) So I'm ordering some tents from Amazon Prime with same-day shipping so that we can camp together forever. We don't need flash dice because you're already glowing (laughs) with that glory thing. We don't need to worry about food because Elijah gets gets, uh, food from the birds. And Jesus, you're great with that multiplication thing. So let's do this life group. But to be fair, Peter was just amazed. And he didn't want this incredible experience to end. This this is a scripture where we get the the expression mountaintop experience. You know that? Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? You You didn't want that adventure to end. Maybe you were on a mission trip. You were being the hands and feet of God. And you're seeing the wonderful works of God. And you don't want to leave. You don't want to leave those people that you're serving. You want to stay. Or you're on a retreat that truly hits to the core of your needs. You have communion with God and other people and you want to stay. Or there's that worship service where you're you're at the altar rail and you're just spread out into the glory of God. And you just want to hunker down and remain and abide in God's holy presence. I've had those times on retreats like Chrysalis and Emmaus or after maybe the candlelight service or the closing. I was bathed in God's love and glory and I did not want to leave. (laughs) Maybe that's what Peter deeply desires. Maybe we need to cut him some slack. The problem is, is that Peter is trying to indefinitely sustain this movement of God. And it's natural to want to do this. But God's always on the move. And some things are for special moments or special seasons. We're called to live in them and enjoy them while they last. But God has other things for us. And we have to keep moving forward from these events into another reality of what God has in store for us. An event like this has some parallels. One example is Moses on, on on the mountain appearing before the glory of God. And when he returned down from that mountain, what did he look like? It says his face was shining like the sun. It was glowing. Or Isaiah the prophet was, was in the temple and he had his heavenly vision of God. And it was a full glory and majesty was displayed. And what was his response? He says, I've seen the Lord and I feel like I'm going to die. You see... When we experience God's glory, that's, there's an intense response that comes. There's a thin place, it says, where there's heaven and earth are actually just about to touch. And we pray to have thin place weekly, especially here at worship. That's what it's all about. We come here for an hour. Well, an hour and 15 minutes today. But we come here for an hour. And we don't hear fire alarms. 
But we come here to offer ourselves in worship to God and be edified by his word. But we have to move forward and do what God calls us to do when we leave these doors. Luke 9, 34 through 35. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. They were afraid as they entered the uh, the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This was the second time God spoke audibly about Jesus. The first time, you remember, is at his baptism. If Peter, James, and John had any doubts, my friends, about who Jesus was, seeing Jesus lit up like lightning, seeing the long dead Moses and Elijah alive before him, and now hearing a voice from heaven saying, listen to this man, that was the moment they would never forget. Listen to Jesus. Once again, we see that Jesus is not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another good guy. He's the son of the living God. Normal people don't have these things happen to them. You see, Jesus is the glory of God. God's glory. As Colossians says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And there's more to it than uh, simply an unforgettable moment. God The fathers pointed us back to the Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Moses spoke the words about the coming prophet, a great prophet. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise you up for a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. You see, he's articulating these very words, making it a point that this Messiah has indeed come and is here. And people should listen to him. Don't ignore him. Don't doubt him. Don't disregard him. Don't disobey him. Do his will and watch abundant life increase in you. Let's look at Luke 9, 36. When the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. They told no one. Of this astonishing moment. We know from Matthew and Mark's gospels. That Jesus told them to tell no one. Until after his resurrection. And besides how would you explain this? The glorification. Moses and Elijah. This event is unprecedented. Alarming. Terrifying. This is such an unusual moment. You know I've read this many many times. And wondered why did this happen? Why What is the purpose of the transfiguration? You know, I think it gave the three disciples a glimpse into the glory of Jesus Christ when he'll come back again. Jesus had recently spoken that his glory, his coming glory to the disciples. If you look in your Bibles in Matthew 9, 26, a week earlier what Jesus spoke of his second coming and when he returns in glory. Look at this verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, God the Father and his Son and even the angels have a glory about them. This glorious kind of splendor and majesty, power and light. And it's absolutely overwhelming for us mere mortals here on earth. And this future glory of Christ is and will take place when he comes again. And it's displayed here in the transfiguration just for a short time. Thirty years later, look at what Peter writes in the words about this, this incredible day on the mountain. 
Look at this, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. All Peter taught and wrote was founded upon that eyewitness experience with the other apostles. He wasn't making up stories about Christ. These were not fables or tall tales. He was an eyewitness glory to his majesty and his power. And he saw Moses and Elijah. And he heard with his own, with his own ears the voice from heaven. He never forgot this. That brief glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. And Peter saw that image of the transfigured Christ. He saw the life of all lives, a flash right before his eyes. And in one instance of that transfigured clarity, Peter sees the humanity of Jesus bonded with the eternal glory of God, my friends. And in that instant, Peter glimpses a great mystery of faith. And he tries to tell us about it. We know that. God became like us. That's what Peter sees. So that we might be like Jesus Christ, created in his image and formed into his image. And that's what Peter eventually comes to. You see, this light that radiates from Jesus' flesh is the same light that said, let there be light. It's the same light in the world that awaits with groaning and labor pains and sighs too deep for words and tears. It's a light that one day will make all of creation a burning bush, a fire with God's glory, but not consumed by it. You see, Peter's right. It's right and good always and everywhere to worship and adore God becoming human and seeing him, to see ourselves taken up into that same glory. And he wanted to stay right there. We need to peek over the shoulder of Peter. And see that great mystery of faith. And you know what? It strengthens us when we shrink before the mystery of death. So I believe this experience would have given the disciples courage for the future. Just one week earlier, Jesus had spoke the hard words about his own suffering on the cross. And the disciples suffering for his sake. Look at this. Luke 9, 22 through 23. When he said this to them all, he said, whoever wants to be my disciples must decide, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. After hearing such hard, perhaps even shocking words a week earlier, now on the mountain, these three disciples would have found great strength by seeing the glimpse of the coming glory in the resurrection, ascension, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is going to suffer and die, but he will rise. <laughs> yes, the disciples himself will suffer for following him and proclaiming his word. But there's something glorious going on as well. Something heavenly that awaits them and awaits you and me. While this was an amazing encounter, my friends, the trouble with the mountaintop experiences uh, is that they are a very small part of our lives in this broken and sinful world. And in these moments, they're generally fleeting and far in between, aren't they? 
Most of life is spent in the valleys, isn't it? If you're counting on experiences to feel close to God, know that he loves you, your own conscience is likely to bear witness to the opposite. Look at what happens after the transformation. Luke 9, 37. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions and he foams at the mouth. It scarcely leaves him and it's destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. What is Jesus teaching here? Friend, it's a wonderful thing to meet Jesus on the mountaintop. Never pass up the opportunity to do that. But we have to go back down to sea level. We have to go back down that mountain. That's where God uses us best. Our relationships with God, our life with Jesus Christ, is not just about those moments of perfect bliss and happiness. Moments when our faith is sure, our lives are happy, and we rest comfortably in God's love. Our life in Jesus Christ is a call to discipleship. A call to follow him. A call to serve others. A call to heal in his name. And it is a call that may come to us in a flash of lightning or in a still small voice on a Wednesday in traffic. It may make us thirst for more. It may want us to build booths where we might rest content with Jesus Christ without a care in the world. But discipleship, my friends, means walking along. Following Jesus Christ on a journey where he leads. So too we must come down from the mountain. And with God's glory at our backs, the cross ahead of us. And Jesus beckoning us forward, teaching us what it means to follow him and do his ministry. And experience his rhythms of change and transformation and healing. And we submit to the words of the Father God who says, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. You see, Christians run toward the fire. We do. That's a good, that's a good, good sentence for today. We run toward, looks like we were running away, but we run toward the fire. We run toward those in need, the broken, and we serve them. The mountaintop, it is legit. But so is the day in and day out that we're called to meet. Let's meet Jesus in both places, my friends. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would, um, God, show us the ways in which we can use even just Sunday worship to be filled and edified and be filled with your Holy Spirit and then go out. Back down that mountain to, to minister in your holy name to our friends, neighbors, uh, associates, and friends. Family. God, we thank you for these times where we can ascend and meet you and, and glow with you in this world. On, in this world with these mountaintop experiences. Oh God, but you call. You call us like Peter. To walk with you down into those valleys to minister. May we be a, an incredible resource for you and your kingdom, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Use our gifts, our spiritual gifts, to nurture and to edify everyone that we experience. 
so that they would have that wholeness, that salvation in your name. We love you and thank you for Peter. Thank you for our lives, each precious life here, oh God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, glorified, metamorphosed, <laughs> transfigured into glory and is now with you rules with you now and forevermore. Amen.